Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the Life Work Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Clayton Morris is a news anchor, real estate investor, public speaker, and former ball of stress. He's the host of the weekend edition of Fox and Friends, the number one cable news morning show in the world. He's in front of millions of viewers every weekend, but not many folks know that he is a real estate investor and host of a personal development podcast called Empower. He joins us this week to discuss his journey on the road to success, being authentic in what we do, finding our freedom number, you're going to want to pay attention to that part, and a breakdown of his that was actually a breakthrough. This is an enlightening conversation, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy our exploration through the whys of what we do as entrepreneurs and people. Without further ado, Clayton Morris. Clayton, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled yeah. to have you. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled to have you. It, you know, you, you actually anchor America's number one weekend morning show, news show. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize your story is much deeper than that, though, right? <laughs> right. It's, it is crazy that... I'll sometimes have to pinch myself that I'm I, I'm very lucky in that I get to anchor that show, the number one, you know, cable morning. Sh- so it's cable, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> cable morning show in the world. Um, but I do, you know, it's funny. Uh, um, you know, a number of years ago, I remember someone saying to to my wife, you know, when Clayton would sort of walk through the halls here. He would sort of walk with his shoulders hunched over as if he didn't belong here. Mm. And I heard that years later, and I thought. And and he said, you know, he does belong here. I and he's good at what he does. Why doesn't he walk upright? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that really stayed with me in a way that I don't think it, maybe it, it should have, but it really informed uh, my life going forward. Because you can choose to like live a life out of fear, self-loathing, uh, lack of confidence, or you can sort of pay attention to it, stand up straight. Uh, and take ownership of where you're at in mm-hmm. your life. Take stock of it. And if it's not the right fit for you, maybe you need to make a change. But for me, I, I, I felt incredibly fortunate. But it's not like I got there because someone just gave me a handout. I worked my butt off of, right. you know, right. across the country and lived in small markets and was an anchor and reporter and, and political reporter in Montana and all over the country. So, yeah, hey, okay, I earned it. It's not, and it's not a wrong thing to just admit that you've accomplished something. But it kind of comes across... Maybe he's a little smug and it's a little, uh, well, that guy's full of himself. Mm. It's like, well, it actually doesn't have to be that way. You can actually be proud of what you've accomplished and stand tall. And it took me a long time to realize that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it brings to mind the idea of the iceberg. The, the tip of the iceberg is what people see, right? So they see the personality. Um, they see where you are when you've, quote unquote, arrived. But they don't see the hard work and all the stuff that's below the surface, of some of which also involves uh, some personal struggles too, right? The idea of, of confidence and some of the, uh, the sort of the shadow we bring with us from our youth and, and things along those lines. And you've been very, very open about uh, some of the things that you've, that you've kind of traversed through along the way and, and kind of leading up to, to the modern day time. But uh, I want to go back in the story a little bit more because, you know, obviously there's the, there's the, the professional anchor side of uh, your career and your life, but you're also a real estate investor. Right. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's been a long journey. I mean, I started real estate investing back in 2007, right before the crash happened, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of came to it, un, you know, unwittingly, I guess. I had bought a single family, a single con- a small one bedroom condo in Florida where I, I lived at the time, and I bought it. It was my first purchase, and I kind of rehabbed it while I lived there. And about two years later, so I saved on capital gains money, you know, I because I lived in it. I rehabbed it and sold it, made a good good profit on it. Uh, at, the, at the same time, my next door neighbor, she had passed away or she was like two doors down. I'd, I'd never met her. She had smoked like her whole life and lived in this two-bedroom condo. And the family basically wanted to get rid of it. And they realized putting it out on the multiple listing service or with a realtor wouldn't have worked because it needed a ton of work. Mm-hmm. The cabinets were like covered in soot from her smoking. For you know, <laughs> So I basically got 100% financing because you could get that at the time. Right? Yeah. They were handing out loans like crazy. Right. And I had so I bought this thing with a hundred and like one percent financing because I even paid like the closing costs with the like financing. Beautiful. And I rehabbed it myself after work. I'd come home after the morning show I was working on at the time, and I just would put put you know fix drywall, paint paint cabinets, eighty layers of primer to cover up like smoking, and <laughs> put in, you know put in new appliances, new carpeting. I did. And I sold both of them, the, the one I lived in, two doors down, and then this one, uh, literally like a week before the crash happened. Wow. And made good money, but then I ended up like blowing it on like speculative land stuff and had it went through a foreclosure. And so I really, you know, I just, I wasn't a good manager or steward of my money. Hmm. Um, and I kind of shied away from real estate then for a number of years until just a, about, four, about four or five years ago. And I started, uh, I started again mm-hmm. in, you know, doing it the right way, sure. the fundamentals of real estate and buying my first rental properties and then helping other, now it's really been about me, you know, I've been helping other people sort of buy their first rental properties and, and kind of take action instead of feeling sorry for themselves. You know, so many people just sit there and get like analysis paralysis for like mm-hmm. a year to yeah. two years. They'll listen to podcasts about real estate investing and they'll, they're kind of talking over their wives and then life gets in the way, right? Their kids in school mm-hmm. and they never take action. And before they know it, they're starting to get up there in age and they don't have any sort of passive income for the rest of their lives. And then I just got really focused on this idea of pass creating real passive income for my family um, that I don't have to, re- because I always grew up with this fear of money and this fear of yeah. lack. And I remember when I was like 13 years old, seeing my dad lose his job. Mm-hmm. And oh man, I was in tears. I thought the end was. I thought the world was going to end. Mm-hmm. I was going to lose my friends. We're going to have to move away. None of that ended up happening. You know, nothing yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It just was. He had. A, he ended up getting a different job. Sure. But, but being but, beholden to somebody else, you know, I just yeah. didn't want to have to ever do that again. Absolutely. Well, you you bring to mind some of the concepts that have been present in my life. And we just earlier recorded my sort of life story here in the (laughs) studio before we got to you. But, um, you know, real estate has been sort of a a little bit of a cornerstone of my my business life. But at the same time, it's not something I'm passionate about. Was real estate a passion for you or was it in a way a vehicle? I think it was a vehicle and then it became a passion. That's interesting. Yeah, because. You know, I remember in college, I took the stock market plunge. I, I, I was at the University of Pittsburgh in 95 to 99, and I was trying different things out on, on the internet, and oh, I'm going to TD, whatever, whatever, I don't even yeah. know what, you know, ones you could like upload some money and <laughs> yeah. 
what I was doing and I lost it all. I uploaded a few thousand dollars and like before I knew it, like, you know, I thought I was like making smart stock purchases. I would sit there and read the Wall Street Journal in the student union building and I was like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I got like, you know, my hat handed to me because I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And with real estate, I could just understand it. It's like, you know what? I lived in a house once. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. I understand what it's like to have a driveway. And I like I understand what it's like to need to like fix up a room so that it feels more comfortable and livable and these things work and these mechanicals work. And I saw my parents put a new furnace in. You know, it all made sense to me mm -hmm. as an investment. And and that's it really was okay, this all makes sense to me. And then before I knew it, I just had this pa deep passion for for knowing that if I acquired a certain number of single family rental properties, that I wouldn't have to answer to anyone else ever again. Yeah. Um, and that to me, I, I couldn't understand it in the stock market, right? Like, okay, mm -hmm. so you're sort of beholden to other people. So if Coca-Cola and you invest in Coca-Cola hires Miley Cyrus as a spokesperson or makes a bad business decision and hires the wrong president of the company that you have nothing to do with. Right. They could make some really ridiculous purchases in China or close a factory and it could affect your bottom line for your retirement with mm -hmm. your family because mm -hmm. this company that you have, you know, you're investing in it, but you have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and you have no control of it unless you're some board member or you're a huge stockholder. So uh, it just didn't make sense to me. So I, to answer your question, really it was a vehicle and it's become a passion now. Yeah. Yeah. I so feel like sometimes though the expertise turns vehicles into passion, right? So sometimes it's like, you're passionate about something, so you learn about it. And sometimes when you learn more about something and get better at it, it becomes right. more fun. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think I, I have a I have a deep understanding of it now uh, in a way that I didn't then. And and really, it's almost to your point, Megan, it really comes like it's like a level of confidence now. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I'll, I'll post a blog post about how why it's one of the smartest strategies you can do is to to borrow from your 401k to buy your first rental property. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'll get people who write back who really, really don't know what they're talking about or they're just like they want to stir up trouble or they they you know they take like a a worst case possible scenario like th that you're going to lose your job next week or something as the reason why you shouldn't do it. Um you know and they'll fire back at it. But it's like when you have that confidence because you've done it and you know many other investors that you have as close friends have done it and you've seen the success with it, then you walk a little taller with, uh, uh, with your responses and your, and, your, and your base of knowledge. Yeah, well, it makes sense. It's like, uh, it's like flying a plane. You, know, you wouldn't want me in the pilot seat flying right. a plane, but <laughs> the qualified pilot or the, the world-class uh, uh, aeronautical engineer who's right. then become a pilot, you know, the, that's the person you want in that role. And so as, as the expertise develops, the confidence grows. You know, you, something you said actually reminded me of a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes, the idea of the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Um, and I think the, the same thing applies to expertise as well. But, um, y you know, in, in describing in listening to your podcast and describing some of the, the, the direction, actually, let's get to that as well. You, you've got a podcast out now, which launched the latter half of 2015 and right. uh, it's called Empower. And can you talk a little bit about the genesis for that and the where you hope to take that that show? Yeah, you know, that show was born out of a breakdown for me because. Over the past few years, I've, I've, when, you know, my friends or business associates would do different projects, I would say to my, say to my wife, and it was all, first of all, it's all, it was all born out of this negative self-talk 
and fear of money mm-hmm. and fear of lack in my life. So it's all born out of fear. That's the starting place, the genesis, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, money doesn't grow on trees. We're not the Rockefellers. Mm-hmm. All of that since childhood, right? So the idea of having to answer to other people and other people are going to tell you uh, how to be successful. They're going to make your life for you, whether it's a boss, a paycheck, whatever it's going to be. You can't do it on your own. Um, We're not the Rockefellers. And I've just hated that. And I knew that was an, an inadequacy in me. So over the years, I would just chase different, like sort of get rich quick ideas. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a good career and yet I was still, oh, he's doing this. I got to go out and do this. Mm -hmm. I got to write a book about that. I got to, and it was all of these things over and over and over again. And my wife would literally, so this past summer or two summers ago, whatever, she had just like kept a a running total of like the (laughs) amount of things I brought to her as things I needed to do. Mm. And she said, you know, I've counted nine different projects that you started and then didn't finish. And it was like, it was like debilitating to hear that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just like knocked the wind out of me. And I felt like they were all part of sort of like the same project, but they really weren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were all sort of separate. And it was just like collapsed in tears after that. And it was a realization that, and she said to me in these words, like sort of, you know, changed everything for me. But she said, what are you chasing? And oh, it just hit me like someone grabbed like a bag of quarters, knocked me in the head. Um and I was like, what am I chasing? She says, look around. She says, you have everything you want. You know, healthy kids, you've got a great job, you've got a great wife. She's like, everything's yeah. fine. What are you chasing? And she was absolutely right. Like, if it was all taken away, like if the job, everything, like the money, she's like, and we had like a one-bedroom apartment, she said, we'd be fine because mm-hmm. we'd have each other. We'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Could live in a box. Yeah. And yeah. it really, it hit me in a way that I – because of this fear of money and fear of lack my whole life to know that it actually you'd be okay regardless mm-hmm. it I just like an enormous sense of like calm sort of washed over me now at the time we had our two kids at my mother-in-law's house we we're out in California and we had planned like a two-day little getaway that just the two of us to Napa and she grew up there I mean she she grew up outside of Napa so she knew Calistoga in that area very well and so we were going there anyway and this happened like a day before we were to go. And it was like even the next day, like in tears after like a wine tasting and just sitting there realizing, and I just had this calmness. Mm. And she's like, you know, instead of all these other projects, she's like, this is what you need to be talking about with people because men don't talk about it. For sure. And you're a broadcaster and you have the ability to probably help break other people, you know, other people's walls down and help them ad- admit that they are living a life out of fear. And there's got to be some crossover between your love of real estate and, and helping empower people through like, you know, financial freedom and this journey of, of, you know, coming from a place of lack and fear. So that was really the genesis of it. And I just sort of started, I just literally stopped doing anything. I just put down all projects, shut everything down and just spent like the month sort of meditating multiple I mean I do that anyway but it was just like okay I'm not doing any projects no new projects and just would sit in my office here at home and 
just like read a Star Trek book, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. have cups of coffee at the coffee shop and just read and just relax and meditate and play with the kids. And, and then it just started kind of unfolding uh, this idea of, of talking with other people who had this sort of figured out, this idea of empowerment, not necessarily through, you know, not, not by crushing other people in a business or, you know, sort of Shark Tank style, but mm-hmm. really finding that life balance where you realize it's going to all be okay if you've got love and you're living your life out of love instead of fear. And that's really mm-hmm. the genesis of that podcast and that, that story. That's how I've kind of arrived at where I am now for 2016. Well, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. You, you kind of described in a way sort of a crossroads moment uh, in, in your life. And it's been interesting to talk to other people that have um, experienced similar types of moments. I know in my life and in Megan's life as well, you know, we've had these these points in time where there's, for me, it was a literal U-turn. I made a U-turn that changed my life. Uh, and I know for, for you, Megan, in one hand, you've got the, the tuition bill to right. pay someone else to uh, teach you to be a writer. And then in the other hand, you've got an offer to be paid to be a writer. Right. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a little little less literal, but still very, very crossroads. Huh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. These these crossroads moments where you, you sort of get sent on a path that in, in a way is the, the path you were meant to be on uh, from the start. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about why it is? that you think um, you think that those of us that are driven uh, arrive in these places of doing things for all the wrong reasons. You know, I think one of the primary motivating emotions is fear. And when you have a support group and you're every day affirming that you can't do something, it just, it becomes a monster. And then when you have other people, you're, you know, what's the saying, right? You're the, the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Right, absolutely. If you, you know, you're a child and you're raised in a family where, you know, dad goes to get a paycheck every day and comes home and there's never enough money left at the end of the month and there's this constant sort of anxiety. Well, you pick up on that anxiety. You know, children are sponges. And then if your friends are the same way, and they sort of live their life that way, you grow up in that environment. And unless you're able to break free of that and start to, you know, make those make those changes, and it really becomes a habit. I mean, you, it really has to become a habit, a routine, where every, think about all of the things that you're saying to yourself thousands of times a day, right? Mm-hmm. You see a person who's walking down the street. I know Eckhart Tolle talks about this. And he says, you see someone who looks like they're mad, right? They might be crazy. They're walking down the street speaking out loud and yelling things out loud. We're doing that constantly, all day long. But we're doing it internally. Mm-hmm. We're just not yelling it out loud. So we're saying, oh, I can't go do that. No, I'm nervous. I don't want to go see that guy. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so we're, there's all of this negative self-talk all day long. And until you can recognize those triggers and then begin to turn that around and through, you know, sitting quietly at the beginning of a meditation and, and, you know, really, really believing and walking through that change and seeing it as it's already here, as if the end is already here. I've been sort of obsessed with the idea of manifesting for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And one of the interviews I did recently, I really wanted to dive in on my podcast with this idea of manifesting and why it is that 
certain people can manifest and seem, you know, bring abundance into their lives and other people still suffer from those same debilitating, self-loathing, negative self-talk thoughts. And what is the difference? And in an interview with uh, Susanna Scully, who's a life coach um, and an executive coach, and she teaches, I mean, she works with the executive board at Apple. Um, those are her clients. Mm -hmm. um, she says, you know, when you slip up, it's because you're not connected enough to the outcome. You must believe it. And I had studied Dr. Wayne Dyer's teachings on manifesting over the years, this idea that if you understand it and believe it, that anything your brain creates can will, will form reality. It is quantum physics. It actually, there's now an overwhelming number of, um, overwhelming amount of evidence that this is the case. So, but the thing is when you're sitting there in that meditation, that quiet time, and you're really plotting out 2016, and if then that, that self-doubt slips in at the last second, You've just undone that last 20 minutes of your mm -hmm. focus on that goal. Mm -hmm. It literally undo undoes it for you. So it must really be true to you. And if it's not, then you're fooling yourself and you're wasting your time. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I really am like zeroing in on that point. Yeah. And I know over the years I've had that self-doubt would creep back in. And for the first time in my life, I've been feeling this calmness and this relaxing feeling now for the first time because I know it to be true now. Mm -hmm. I really know that I am okay. <laughs> and it's not it's been a long journey for me to get to this point of being able to say that. Which is a fantastic place to be. That's that's awesome yeah. to hear. The you know, there's the idea in, in meditation about, you know, when a thought enters your brain, you just sort of observe it. You don't mm. judge it. Mm. You right. just let it pass. Um, like automobiles going by on a road. It how do you take that approach with some of this negative self-talk? Because obviously we all know that we carry things from our past and whether they still have a grip on us or not, um, they're still there. They still show up. The, the thoughts are still there. How do you, how do you take that principle from meditation and sort of trans, uh, transpose it into, into your life when it comes time to, to make a, a business decision, let's say, and, and there's the thought. It's a great question. And it really is true. Before when I studied meditation, I would sit and, and I'd get frustrated because these negative thoughts would flow in and, you know, and, and you would, I wouldn't observe them. I would sort of internalize them. Mm -hmm. uh, the power of, uh, you know, I, I studied transcendental meditation. I studied all sorts. And then I, we really, the one that worked for me that changed everything for me was, was TM. Mm. Um, and I, I it, is it is exactly that, like the observing of those thoughts that come through without judgment. And then without that judgment, you sort of slip into these lower levels where you're able to talk or you're able to just observe and go quietly and deeply. Um, and through the rest of the day, I sort of at the end of my meditation almost like sort of lock it in. I sort of do like a little power movement where I sort of stick up my arms and I sort of have like one last affirmation. And I kind of protect um, – his name is Tr Three Simple Steps. It's an amazing book. And he mm -hmm. talks about creating this – I think his name is Trevor, and I can't remember the last name. Um, I can't remember his last name, mm -hmm. but he puts this like creative, like protective bubble around his body. He puts this like you know protective, visual protective bubble around his body, and he like goes through the rest of the day almost like wearing this shield to protect himself against negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I have known that I've just slowed down. If I slow down and take a breath when I feel anxious 
or something is bothering me the way that it used to a year ago or two years ago, I sort of have this awareness and this quiet awareness that, oh, hey, hello, old friend. Yeah. And without, I try to treat it the same way I treat it in the meditation that I treat it in, that I treat it when I'm not in the meditation. So if it shows up, I just sort of like to have this awareness, hello, and there, you're on your way again. Nice to see you, but I don't need you right now. Mm -hmm. And without judgment, without getting angry at the feeling, just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a there's a visual that uh, that comes to mind. It's a story. It's a professor talking to a class, and um, he's holding up a glass of water, and the water is roughly half full. And, and he and he says, "I know you you expect me to ask you the the half full or half empty question, but I'm going to ask you a different question. It's how heavy is the glass? Hmm. And there's lots of different." Uh, suggestions that are tossed out of for a pound four ounces whatever and the reality is it's all relative it the longer you hold that glass the heavier that it's going to get eventually your arm is going to start to shake and it's not that heavy as an object and eventually it's just going to be too much for you and the only way it to release that uh the tension and the pressure and the the weight of it is to just literally set it down and so that, that brings to me that visual of being able to, it, it almost seems like in a way we're, we're, we take ownership over the thoughts and the, the story, you know, from the past and the limitations and things like that. When the reality is that we, we're the ones that have our claws entrenched into that for, for you. That I mean, to me, that's, that's the hardest point is being able to let go of that thought, being able to. Uh, release the ownership of that. It, have you, in, in sort of the course of your traversing this subject, have you discovered any insights into that? Uh, yeah, and and it's not even just it, so much the thoughts, but it, it if if I recognize now that that's coming from a place of fear or compare, you know, for me it's fear and comparison. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's doing this, so I must be, I should be doing this. It all kind of comes from the same place, mm-hmm. but the moment that that creeps in. I put it down and let it go. But also in my business now with with real estate investing, if it when you say yes to things, you really have to say no to other things. Right. And I had a few like sort of lingering projects that were, you know, that kind of came with me through the fall. But it wasn't until I had laser focus on the one thing, you know, Gary Keller's great book. Mm-hmm with turnkey real estate investing and our goal of reaching like, you know, what we wanted for financial freedom in our house, like until I cut some of these other projects that were like little hangers on at the end of the year, Mm. I didn't have success. Like it was still being held back by this. The moment I let those go to your point, I had the most calm Christmas I've had Mm. in years. I mean, I can't recall. I just remember looking at my wife constantly these past, you know, over the Christmas holiday, just saying, I've gotten, I'm just so relaxed. I don't have any worries right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have any work that I need to be doing. I'm just sitting here enjoying this, reading this book. Like it was glorious because in years past, I'd be constantly chasing something. Well, we can open presents in the morning, but I, I'm sure by the afternoon I got to, kids are napping. I've got to be working on this thing. Mm-hmm. For what? For nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clayton, I have a practical question about that. Um, <clears throat> I think it's great to th- whittle down and focus. And I also think there's an aspect about people like you and and people like Dave and I 
who kind of like to be spread out a little bit or kind of looking for that next thing because it's exciting or it pings something for us. And I'm wondering how you think in the future, I know you're sort of early in this new this new phase of your journey, but in the future, how you're going to find that sweet spot. I mean, it, someone may come to you with something again that you are interested in and how do you decide if it fits your life and your business model and still lets you have that calm feeling, not just on Christmas, but you know, every day. I'm reminded of, and I still live by this quote that, you know, if uh, it was up on my whiteboard, I've since erased it because it was prior to this sort of breakthrough that I had, but it really informs still my decision-making about these things that if you have more than, I think it's Jim Collins, if you have more than three priorities, you have none. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. it's so true. And if you think about your family, that's a priority. That mm. better be one of them, right? Right. So, and then if you've got, you know, a podcast, which I do, that's the second one. And then if real estate investing is my third, then there's literally no room for a fourth. Right. So family is number one. Um, you know, uh, podcast or broadcasting is two. And mm-hmm. what else? You know, there's no other room for it. And you, because then not, then all of them begin to suffer. Right. We're yeah. not superhuman. And so I really, I haven't been confronted with that crisis moment yet. Um there have been actually a number of things that have come my way over the past few months since starting on this journey. And I just sort of smile at them. I like, oh, that's interesting. And I, since I'm a GTD fan, a getting things done mm-hmm. fan, David sure. Allen's method yeah. of, of organizing, I just throw it in my someday maybe folder. Mm. Yeah. So I have like a bunch of things in my someday maybe folder for real estate investing. Like I'm like, maybe I'd like to do a real estate, um, a digital real estate investing magazine, mm-hmm. you know, on the iPad. Sort of a subscription model. Oh, someday maybe. So on that folder. But I'm not touching it now. It feels like what you're saying though is that maybe maybe something that comes your way that it would be a maybe in the future um, would still kind of be grouped under one of the things you're already prioritizing. So right. you know. Yeah, it'd be difficult. I, I've I, I think some of the things I've been looking at in this new year. I mean, if they if they're not in that realm, for instance, if it's you know a couple of buddies come to me and say. We're going to be uh, investing in a ski resort right. out in Chicago or yeah. you know in Colorado or something. Or we're going to open up a few movie theater chains with uh, that serve wine and beer and have lazy boys. I'm like, hey, that sounds awesome, you know. And I'm like, hey, great. And they've like, well, look, we've already got these financers, you know, set up, and oh, we want to come take a look at our demo, you know, movie theater that we've built. So you can get a sense of it. We're going to screen a movie. And how awesome is this? And it's like, oh, I'd go watch a movie there. <laughs> and then later they didn't want to ask me if I'm going to be involved in it. And I'd say, well, I don't think so. But, you know, thanks for inviting me. But before, I probably would have chased that rabbit deep down a hole. I mean, I went, I've gone through some crazy projects. Like I love zip. I love wearing hoodies and zip ups. <laughs> so I went to – this is how crazy I was. I can't wait to see where this is going. <laughs> this is the story that my wife always brings up as a reminder. So just as an example, you know, because women never forget anything. So this uh. is this is her favorite one to bring up as ridiculous. I, for whatever reason, I could never find the perfect zip up, one that would fit me well, like that didn't bunch up at the bottom, didn't, you know, had the right kind of zipper and hood. I said, I'm going to build my own. So I literally hired like a designer and then like went down the rabbit hole of like working with like a materials designer in China to like source materials and test it. And I was going back and forth with like designs and website names and, and like literally getting samples mailed to me from China 
to test this out. Now, granted, I one I got one of my final prototypes. It was one of the best zip ups I've ever worn that fit me perfectly, and I still have it. <laughs> but my wife's like, "Are you really doing this? What are you gonna have boxes of zip ups in the garage that you're gonna mail? What are you thinking? You know?" And it was mm-hmm. like, I sort of hit this wall with it. I'm like, "What am I doing? Really?" Mm-hmm. And I talked to my friend Scott Jordan, who was the creator of Scotty Vest, and uh, he's like, "You realize this is not a hobby." This is not, he's like, this is a, you know, like, it's taken me 10 years to, to build this company up to a multi-million dollar company now. Like, you can't just do this on the side as like a little whim on a hobby. Right. I'm like, really? You can't? You know? <laughs> and so I still have this zip up and it's like a reminder of chasing some ridiculous project. Um, yeah. You know, because we have these flights of fancy and I'm, 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 I'm endlessly curious right. as a human being, right? I'm endlessly curious. I love different ideas and sort of stretching my imagination. But I, you know, you need, when you say yes to something, you've really got to say no to something else. It's like my wife's like, yeah, you can go and do the zip up, but why don't you quit your job? And then that'll be the one thing you'll do. She's very practical in that way. And for me, it's like, no, I can fit it in with the right. 80 other things I'm doing. And you just can't, you just can't. And I think we also believe we we can always do something better than like with your example, we can do it better than someone else is doing it, but we can't if, if it's not our main thing. Like, right. Yeah. And if it's not true to you, I think this right. is the, what we've been sort of circling around is that why are you doing it in the first place? Are you passionate about it? And does it, does it come from a place of love? If it comes from a place of fear, like just to make money or just be, or you're out of fear because just because, or you're chasing someone just because that person's doing it you feel the need to do it, then that makes no sense. Then, you know, it needs to come from a place of genuine, honest love and truth. And if it comes from that place, then it, then it will probably work. Um, like if you just love design, you know, and if you love making clothes, then that's probably, you know, a good place for you to, to, to invest some of your energy in your life is designing clothes and drawing and sketching and maybe, you know, going into New York to see how, you know, fashion is made and, and learning from that. And if you love it and that's what you eat and breathe, great. But if – and you read the books about it. But if it's because you're doing it because someone else is doing it and you feel the need to chase them, then you're on the wrong path. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Mm. You know, one thing that you've – another you, authenticity is the is sort of the, the the word that seems to sum these sorts of things up being true to who you are being true to what your passion is um i know authenticity is a word that's in, that's important to you um mm-hmm. and it's it's important both for the podcast but also your your professional life you know you've been able to cultivate a very authentic personality that is there's a lot of integrity between your your personal life and your and your public life or at least there appears to be from um you know what i've been able to gather um, is that, is that sort of like a core value of yours? Is that something you try and, and sort of measure things against as you, uh, the, the subject of authenticity? Yeah. And I, I don't think I knew, I understood it until, uh, a number of years into my broadcasting career. Um, I always knew that I loved television, knew I loved broadcasting, grew up watching David Letterman and wanted to, you know, to, to be David Letterman. Right. Um, but something that I, I, I didn't know how to verbalize until reading Todd Henry's uh, book called Louder Than Words, and he talks about um, the idea of authenticity uh, and, how to, and creating that authentic voice. 
you know, you, you, you mimic other people as you're learning, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're natural apprentices in this world. And so that's the best way to learn. Spend three years studying under a blacksmith and become your own. And then you're going to put your own spin on it eventually. So this idea that you kind of climb this tree, you're at the root of the tree, you're climbing out and then you begin to branch out and you begin to branch out into your own these tiny branches. And the question inevitably is, well, what happens on those tiniest of branches? Because it's going to break, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, that must be the end of things. Now that you've kind of gone on your own, it breaks, but no, it falls to the ground and it becomes its own tree. And you become your own distinct rooted tree. And I love that analogy because it's so true. And for me in broadcasting, I thought I needed to be a version of a news anchor when I first started. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, you know, watching Tom Brokaw, I felt like, oh, that's what I've got to do. I can't just be myself. I've got to be, you know, in depth tonight, you know, News Channel 6. We're like, we're coming to you from whatever, <laughs> like this sort of fake news news guy like who you know just because that's what you thought you saw on tv you needed to mimic that or something almost like an actor and i came home i was in west virginia as an nbc i was at a i was in, working at a local affiliate then i would do the 6 and 11 p.m newscast and i was just miserable and i came home for christmas and i was home for like two weeks in pennsylvania i just sat at this borders bookstore and i found this like dusty old copy of a broadcasting book and in it, she talked about connecting through the camera as if you're connecting to your grandmother at home. And something, I don't know, in that book just clicked for me. And I realized what I had been doing wrong the whole time. And the real the re realization that why I got into broadcasting in the first place is because I just wanted to have fun and be myself mm -hmm. and enjoy that medium of television. And I realized that I just wasn't being myself. That's why I was being miserable. So I went back after those two weeks and I just got on the air and I just talked like myself <laughs> and everything changed for me. I mean, it just went, you know, it, everything changed. I mean, I ended up leaving that job and getting to a, a national morning show as a result of it and going to Good Day Philadelphia and then from Good Day Philadelphia to the network. Um, and everything just changed because of that realization, just be myself. And that's the only thing that my bosses at Fox have ever said to me when I first got hired was, we just want you to be yourself. Just be and you. All of the people that are on the air are the same off the air at that, in that building. Yeah. Um, you know, love them or hate them. <laughs> you know, if you're like somebody or you don't like somebody, it's that same thing. It's that they are real. Um, and there's no, there's not a facade that they're putting on when they get on the air. For sure. Yeah. For sure. You just to take a quick sidestep here. You, you mentioned sitting in the borders bookstore uh, finding the dusty copy, flipping it open, and landing upon a nugget of wisdom. Um, we've mentioned a lot of different books. You've mentioned several, and, and I know self-learning is something that is a concept that, that I see very consistently uh, in in people that are, you know, the, the word success is a very nebulous term, right? And, and defining that is really important. And, but to me, success is reaching reaching the thing that you set out for to begin with. And the people that I've found that that end up being uh, their version of successful are, are very much self-learners. Um, is that been something that has been a core part of your either your personality along the way? Is that something you learned or you you I assume you're a big reader then as well? Yeah, I think I'm definitely a self-learner, self-taught, like playing guitar and hmm. broadcasting. And I'm just such a curious person that I'll seek out. I think that's why we're living in such a great time, right? If people want the information that you guys you know, talk about in your podcast, you know, it's such an 
they have to, you know, choose to find that and be make it part of their mm-hmm. lives. And I love this sort of media time we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. Instead of like four television channels, that's your only choice, right. right? Right. You have incredible books. You have incredible teachers on YouTube where you can like. My my son will sit now. If I had this when he was a kid, it will he'll son he'll just sit. He's five years old, and we'll pull up like the, the Art for Kids YouTube channel, mm. and it's like a dad and his son, and they'll sit and sketch and draw, and he'll just sit there for like an hour and a half drawing and sketching, and I just and with with them, and, and he'll do it on his own, you know, separately, which is how I very much was as a kid, but didn't have the resources, you know, mm-hmm. I would. Uh, go over to my friend's house and try to study. He was a guitar player, and I would sit and just like trying to learn from him how to play guitar. And I, I became fascinated by music. And my parents listened to really, you know, crappy music growing up, so I didn't have like <laughs> their influence of music. They would listen to like Barry Manilow and Yanni, and I, you know, was like into the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all, mm-hmm. you know, and REM and all these things. And I had to sort of discover it on my own. The same with reading. Um, I fell in love with history. And while I was at the University of Pittsburgh in broadcast journalism, I realized that I had just kept taking like extra history classes and I and had enough, I ended up having enough for a double major by the time I graduated. So I had a history degree and a, a broadcast journalism degree just because I, in my spare time, would just sit and read books about the Revolutionary War and, you know, the hist- you know and, 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 and the Civil War and stuff. So I'm 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 still the same way. Where if I go down a rabbit hole of curiosity about any subject, I just I want to devour it. Mm-hmm. The rabbit hole that's come up so many yeah, times in the conversations <laughs> that we've had. It one book as books do lead to another book and leads to another resource and whatnot. And, and next thing you know, you're you're in a whole different right. whole different area. It's it's such an amazing thing to me. Uh, and it's it, so I didn't go to college, um, Megan. I know you didn't. You don't have a degree either. I didn't finish. Didn't finish college. And it's been interesting to me to see the the idea of learning, self-learning, and whether or not that is present in someone's life and the, the distance to which they get along the path they're trying to mm-hmm. trying to go. Uh, it's just so fascinating to me that there's so much. It, you don't have any money. Go to the public library. Yeah. You, can, right. you can pull out just a wealth of wisdom and, and glean all that. And it's, it's very interesting to me that that is not something that is, is widely, widely known. Uh, or widely done. Um, And then even on the subject specifically, and I want to transition here to financial wisdom, financial literacy, uh, and the idea that that life doesn't have to be this same sort of approach to nine to five job and and things that people do, and that there is this concept of financial freedom. Um, I know that's something that for you is is an important, important fact, uh, an important facet to what you do. And uh, I know for me, I've been chasing for 15 years after this, the idea of leaving the rat race, quote unquote. And, you know, now that it's starting to appear in the, in the, in the, the window, you know, starting to think about, well, what's next? What does that mean? And, and I know for you, uh, the idea of teaching other people to be financially free is something that certainly appeals to you. Absolutely. And it really, for me, you know, my wife and I were sitting down one night and I think I was just, it was a, it came from a place of fear to be honest. It was like, okay, well, what happens if we were talking, I wasn't fear, I guess, but it was, we were really talking about, okay, well, you know, school and paying for kids school and, and, and all these other things. Right. Mm-hmm. And we had gone through like a little bit of a tight spot and, um, and, you know, financially, and we were saying, well, what would it mean for us? Like, what would that look like if we were financially free? Cause so many people sit back and you'll ask them what they want. Money was, oh, I want to be a millionaire. It's like, well, well why? Mm-hmm. Because what what does that arbitrary number come from? Is it just because you've like seen it on TV or or you know where does that number actually come from? 
So it turns out most people don't know why they want to be a millionaire. They like the sounds of it, but at the end of the day, you could be wealthy with far less. And so here's yeah. what I mean. So we sat down, we looked at, and we knew we were you know, buying single family homes. And we were helping friends and family also buy their first single family homes. And before you knew it, I had like a turnkey real estate business and was helping people from soup to nuts who were busy, didn't want to have to manage a rehab with contractors and everything, receive about a 12% return on their investment and get, you know, um, uh, a series of uh, properties, you know, mm -hmm. get their first one, their second one, their third, whatever they were that would cash flow, you know, about $675 a month. And it would cost anywhere from thirty-five to to forty thousand dollars, all in, totally, mm -hmm. you know, with a tenant in place. Well, how many of those would we need to be financially free? And so we started like on the whiteboard that evening, figuring it out. And I put together. You guys can, you know, if you guys want to link to it, if people are driving right now and they're listening to this, please don't get in a car accident <laughs> trying to figure this out. Um, and don't, uh, if you're on the treadmill, don't worry about it because I mean, you guys can link to this or not. Um, and I'm happy to share this with you, but I put together like a, like a two page PDF on how to figure out your financial freedom number. And this is literally right from our whiteboard on our house. Mm. Um, and so if people want it, they can download it for free. It's totally free. There's nothing like I'm, I don't have anything to sell. So, but if you want <laughs> it, just go to claytonmorris.com slash freedom and you can download it. And it'll literally you sit down with your, your husband or wife and do this. And it will, I have received hundreds and hundreds of emails from people that sat down and did this with their husband or wife. And they said, you have no idea what a game changer this is. And it's so basic, but people don't think about it in these terms. So if I can indulge you, I'll just take you through the little quick steps here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So take six months worth of your expenses. So just look at your year and I want you to kind of really be honest with yourself and open up your bank account statements. Take six months worth of your expenses and find the average of those months. Now I want you to throw out um, the holidays because that throws everything out of whack, right? So don't include you know, November or uh, December in that. Uh, but just take the average of the rest. And I want you to include everything. I want you to include your electric bill, your cable bill, groceries, gas for car, Netflix, tuition, mortgage, whatever, all of that. And a few dinners out, a movie here and there. Don't don't skimp on that. And then let's say for the sake of argument that your number is like $4,500 just for easy round numbers. Okay, So that's what you spend per month on average. Now I want you to pad it a little bit, add a little fat to it. So add about 10% to it just to give you some extra freedom. So in this example, be like 10% of 4,500 is $450. So just round it up so we have an even $5,000. That's what you need every month. Covers everything for you, plus a little padding. Like when you want to take a trip, vacation to Florida, Disney World, it's all in there. So for this example, 5,000 a month, that's all we need. So mm -hmm. people say a million dollars. Really? If you had something that covered $5,000 a month for you, you would have achieved financial freedom. That's the bottom line, and that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not. And you don't be, you need to be this millionaire. So the, the next step in this, and it's really a, a, a four-part step. The next step is the fun part because I love this part. This is where most people figure out how many rental properties would take you to cover that 5000 So, for instance, most of the properties I, I buy and rent out and help my you know, friends and family and, and, and buyers do is like between – they'll rent for like six to $900 a month. Now, each of those houses cost roughly thirty to forty thousand dollars after they've been rehabbed to buy it. Mm -hmm. But for now, we're only concerned with the rent. So, for the sake of this example, let's just use an easy rental average of seven hundred dollars a month. 
And I like to be super conservative in my numbers. So I take $700 and then I take out 40% in the, in the, in the care in, in, in case there's vacancies or repairs. Mm-hmm. You know, both, both are totally rare because we've just renovated the house and there's a tenant in place. So there's mm-hmm. no vacancy and there's not any repairs. But just totally conservative, mm-hmm. 40%. Cushion. So you're looking at about 420 bucks a month. That's worst case scenario. So here's my favorite mall, which is to find that freedom number, you take, your ex- you take our expenses of 5000 you divide it by 420 get about 11.9. Mm-hmm. So let's round that up to 12. That means you need 12 properties that are cash flowing 700 bucks a month to reach financial freedom. Mm-hmm. 12 properties. That's it. That's it's amazing. It. And it's incredibly easy to reach that number with some focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what's interesting about that is when when someone actually uh, grasps what that means, and that I could not work right once once the passive income exceeds my monthly expenses, and I, I'm assuming you've read Rich Dad Poor Dad as well, Clayton. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. that's a book that changed everything. Yeah, it, same for me, same for me. That's what led to the U-turn, actually, in my case. But um, once that passive income has exceeded the monthly expenses, you know, you're you're effectively done, right? You can walk away from from the day to day if you want. I wonder if that that moment when somebody realizes that's possible also starts to trigger some of the other the other things, right? So I've been working so hard at X, Y, and Z to pursue this career, to achieve these things, and, and here I am, and I don't even know why, right? So the question of why is it that you're doing what you're doing when, right. when you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Once, once the basics are covered... You, do you start to really think about the, what am I here for? You know, it right. makes sense. Or what, am I, or what am I chasing? Why am I right. doing all of this? Yeah. When yeah. everything is taken care of, like I'm, I'm, I'm fine now. Like I've got, sure. you know, I've got all this taken care of. I, I have 12 properties that, you know, the cash flow of this and now honey, our monthly, everything we need to worry about is taken care of. Right. So now we can really, okay, well, what do we want? Do we want to travel a little bit more? Okay, well then maybe we, you know, we acquire two or three more rental properties to make sure that every year we have we take that trip to Europe that we've wanted. You know, and those two or three extra rental properties a month, you know, the bottom line is you're increasing your net worth. And and that's what I've been passionate about, sort of Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Investor book mm-hmm. is one of my favorite books because he teaches you to in, in the early stages of real estate investing, you really just want to buy a million, own yeah. a million, and then cash flow a million. Don't mm. worry about the cash flow piece just yet. Mm-hmm. You really want to increase the overall net worth. And then that's when the equity position opens up. You're able to do so many great things as a result of that. So it is, you know, that idea, that concept really changed everything for my wife and I. And everything I do now is singularly focused on that freedom number mm-hmm. uh, and exceed, you know, not only exceed, hitting it, but exceeding it is my, is my goal. Sure. So the framework is there, right? The here's, here are my top priorities, my, my three max, right? I say no to all else. Uh, I'm focused on the freedom number, the financial freedom right. number so that I helps inform what I'm going to take on or how much I need to take on. And then, and then what's next, right? You sort of look, look at, at what else is possible in, in your travels, in some of the, the early stages, the, you know, we talked about rich dad, poor dad as being sort of a seminal <laughs> book in, in, in some of those areas. What, what other, what other, uh, books have you read that have, uh, had that level of impact on your life? You know, I, I think, Gary Keller's two books have been profound for me because his book, The One Thing, mm-hmm. and his his earlier book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, 
um, because it, the, it was so rooted in the fundamentals of smart real estate investing. And had people before the crash read and, and put his uh, formulas into practice, we wouldn't have had that crash. Right. It wouldn't have happened. For sure. Um, and the book is still true today. He wrote it about a year before the crash happened. And I just reread it. And all the fundamentals, some of it, like just some of like the marketing stuff is a little out of date, but the mm -hmm. whole, all the fundamentals are absolutely 100% accurate. And it's exactly how I invest today. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't buy a house unless I can get 20% equity in the house when I close on it. I need to make sure that it's cash flowing um, about $200 above any kind of leverage that I would have on it. Sure. Like if I didn't have it free and clear. Mm -hmm. I'm laser focused on net worth and building the net worth piece on it. And... You know, that's, that's, that's about it. And then his The One Thing book, it comes back to something we were talking about earlier and the question, that, Megan, that you had asked about like the, you know, the priorities. It's like, you know, that's the key, right, is, is if you stay laser focused on the one thing, like what is the one thing? And so for me, it's the freedom number hmm. and everything feeds that, everything. Um, and if it's not, if, if I'm, if I'm taken to distraction and something's taking me away from reaching that number or it's a total distraction, then it, it has no place in my life. It goes in the someday maybe folder, you know, and then I review, do my weekly review and very often it gets deleted because when I sleep on it after a few days and I look at it again and you, you kind of laugh at those things most of the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, those, those books have been game changers. I would also say that, um, um, well, there's, there's been so many great books this year, but I also think The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity by Edwin Gaines is another one of those books that is a little uncomfortable for people like me because one of the – my buddy told me about it. And he said, look, one of the four of these spiritual laws of prosperity are going to make you uncomfortable. And whatever the most uh, difficult one is for you to face is the one that you need to do immediately. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was the first – of her spiritual laws, which was tithing. Interesting. I had always, you know, sort of given, you know, given a charity and, and we, you know, donate money to causes and things like that. But it was sort of blindly and without m much purpose. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, grew up with this fear of, of money. So I'd want to hold on to it mm -hmm. and realizing that it just flows through you and it's not yours anyway. Mm hmm. And that you can't hold on to it when you die. And yeah. that if you realize that you are just a sort of a conduit for abundance and that abundance will flow to you, like you talked about the school example or the writing example and, mm. you know, paying a tuition and then also be getting hired as a writer, like it just flows through you. And if you're aware of this abundance that's constantly around you, um, then you don't want to hold on to those things. And so she really talks about feeding your spiritual soul. Those who feed your spiritual soul are those that you should be helping with uh, with money, with money, mm. and giving. Um, it could be the waitress who sees that you're having a terrible day and just sits with you for a few minutes and mm -hmm. comforts you and wants to talk and make cheer you up a little bit. Like it could be that person that you leave a three hundred dollar tip that day. Mm -hmm. um, it could be um, it could be a teacher of your child. It could be an author. And you send that person like a thousand dollar check to say thank you, and and if they are that type of person, then they'll accept that gift, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll pass it on. So instead of just sort of blindly giving, it, it could be a priest at your church. I mean, it could be right mm -hmm. if they feed your spiritual if speed feed your feeds you spiritual food, right? Um, but if you're just sort of blindly giving money away, that's charity. 
Mm -hmm. really like tithing and, and giving money to those. And it's amazing when that happens because then it just comes back tenfold. Sure. Sure. Well, you're not holding, you're not, the, the fists are not clenched They're mm. The hands are wide open. Right. Yeah. Opportunities present themselves. Yeah. Um, it really is amazing and it makes you just feel amazing. So that book was really hard for me to read having come from a place of fear about money. Uh, but when I, when, when I embraced it, it was uh, just a game changer. Just a game changer. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll put all these books yeah. into the show notes so Absolutely. that folks can uh, folks can check those out and be able to. Uh um, be able to pursue the same rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. And then it'll be at uh, lifeworkpodcast.com. So we'll have all those there. Awesome. That's Great. fantastic. Now, now Clayton, with the with the podcast, with the work you do, and, and people can learn more at claytonmorris.com, um, what, do you have any specific ask of our audience or, or any sort of uh, next steps that you would like people to take, either in learning about you or in, in supporting the, the work that you do? Well, I always say, I mean, first of all, you, that you were so kind to, to mention, you know, the, the podcast Empower. And I, I, I really want that, to, that podcast to be a source of empowerment for people, um, you know, whether it's uh, personal, financial, spiritual, that's the goal of the podcast. So, um, and I've, you know, talked to some incredible individuals on there um, who I'm just so thankful and blessed that I've been able to sit down with and talk with. So that's one thing. If you're, if you're interested in that, I hope it could bring you spiritual and financial or personal nourishment. Um, but also I love talking to investors on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I know people, when I say this on a podcast, people are like, yeah, really, really? You're going to jump on the phone with me? I do. Mm -hmm. I absolutely do. And I like to talk to people that actually take action, um, who, who actually, you know, will go to my website, maybe they download our, you know, the, the freedom number cheat sheet. Um, and then they, I literally will get on the phone with them just to talk with them. I love talking because I feel like I've been blessed with my career. I've been blessed with my position in life and I want to be able to give back as much as I can. And I am so furious, the lack of education around like financial education in this country. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're sort of blindly taught to, you know, set up a 401k when you get to work and then you're set for life, which is so untrue. Right. Um, you see all these commercials for fidelity and these other things. You know, they make money off of you. Why do you think they're te running television commercials? Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Do you ever see a commercial for real estate investing? No. You know why? Because none of the, there's no people that make money in it except you. Right. So, you know, you're the one making the money in it. Um, that's why there's not all these middlemen making, you know, taking, uh, charging you $10,000 a year in fees to manage your portfolio and all this sort of stuff. We're going to help you get to retirement. Like, okay, sure you are. Mm -hmm. So, um, I love just getting on the phone and helping people take their first step. Um, you know, like figuring out real estate investing in their town or whatever it is. Like, uh, they have a lot of questions and there's just so, there's just such a lack of resources for it. So, Again, come to my website. I'm happy to jump on the phone with you. Uh, I will, and I schedule like half hour, half hour segments throughout the week with with uh, first time investors or long time investors. And I just love talking to them because I learn so much. I learn so much from you, and hopefully, you'll learn something from me as well. And we'll be lifelong friends as a result. That's yeah. fantastic. That's awesome. That's fantastic, Clayton. I, I want to thank you for for being on the show. You've you've been very. Um, through your and, and I will say empower has already impacted me. The, the episode with Greg McEwen on essentialism, uh, alone, there's pages of notes I was scribbling during that time. And, uh, it's, it's just fantastic right. to be, be around somebody else that, uh, is, 
is in that place where they're they're so after uh, the wisdom that can be gained and the 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 distance that people can go and is you know there's a lot of passion surrounding that and mm-hmm. so uh, it's been fantastic to have you share that with us uh, with our listeners and uh, uh, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com. 